Welcome to Political Hitman. I'm Howie Silberger, right here on Israel News Talk Radio. It's been a while. I'm glad I'm back. I want to thank Tamar Yona and the team at Israel News Talk Radio for inviting me back, for having me back, for uh, for allowing me to uh, to do this show. Very important show and a very important time in Israel's history. And I'm glad I could be here to talk to you and to talk with you about this. And we could uh, we could discuss it and figure out. Where where we go from here? This is um, it's a very trying time uh, for uh, for many many different reasons. But um, look, we we all know what happened. I don't have to go over what happened. I don't have to go over the pain and the suffering that Israelis are feeling right now, and the fear of going to war that Israelis are feeling right now. I don't have to go over that. We all know what's what's happening in Israel. There was an article in the Jerusalem Post. For those people who, for some reason, and, and, and the Jew haters around the world have been doing this. In Australia, they were, they were yelling, gas the Jews. In, um, in America, they were, uh, they were demanding to see proof of decapitated babies. They want to see pictures because, because us telling them the horrors of decapitated babies wasn't good enough for them. They want to see pictures. They want to see proof, video evidence, and then they're going to claim that the that the videos and the um, and the pictures were were AI. That's what they're going to claim. It's it's very difficult. It's extremely difficult to be able to to put into words the horrors of October seventh. It's extremely difficult. The Jerusalem Post ran an article today and and the article the article really just sums it all up now now answering the call for proof that this massacre actually happened even though it was live streamed by Hamas even though Hamas showed live videos of their murders of their genocidal attack on the Jewish people even though the Nazi Arab organization of Hamas were proudly displaying videos and dragging bodies through the street, there are people around the world still demanding proof that this actually happened. The pathologists at the National Center for Forensic Medicine in Abu Kabir in in Tel Aviv the ones who have to sort through the bodies, the ones who have to identify the bodies, the ones who have to process the bodies. They decided enough of this, of this questioning. We're dealing with this every day, all day. Enough of this questioning. And they brought journalists into their forensic center, something they almost never do, to show them the results, the, the end results of the Hamas genocidal attack, the Nazi Arab genocidal attack on the Jewish people. I want to share with you the article. I know uh, I can't show it to you, but at least I could I could read you parts of it. The parts of it that are, they're, they're just mind-bogglingly horrific. Stifling the urge to wretch became a difficult task as I walk through the lower levels of Israel's National Center of Forensic Medicine in Tel Aviv. This is written in the Jerusalem Post by Aaron Porus from Media Line. 
The smell of rotting human remains, much of which was completely unrecognizable as human due to the brutality of the attack, was at times too much to bear. In the light of the growing international interest and denials of the Palestinian terror group Hamas's October 7th massacre in southern Israel, representatives of the global press were invited to see the horrors for themselves. Forensic pathologists, including Israeli staffers as well as volunteers from abroad, were visibly disturbed by the evidence before them. Despite every effort to remain objective and detached, as called for by the profession, many broke down in tears throughout the day. During the initial press conference, the forensics team showed images from their investigations. Among the images were those of charred hands with marks that revealed that the victim's hands were bound behind their back with metal wire before being burned alive. Perhaps the most disturbing image in the slideshow was a completely charred mass of flesh, which at first glance could not be seen as ever having to belong to a human. It was only after a CT scan was done that experts could see the inhumanity of the image. Two spinal cords, one belonging to an adult, one to someone young, a parent and a child bound together by metal wires in a final embrace before being set alight. When you do this job downstairs, you get detached, Dr. Chen Kugel, the head of Abu Kabir, told the media line. But then you learn the stories and connect to the people. It's not hard to feel the tragedy. It's so big. And when I go to the Shura camp where the deceased bodies in Israel are first collected and see containers like you see at the port, but they're all full of bodies, and you hear the stories that behind their charred bodies something terrible happened, it's difficult. I've seen many things in my 31-year career, but the magnitude and the cruelty here is terrible, Kugel added. The proportion of bodies we received who are charred is high, Kugel explained. Many have gunshot wounds in their hands, showing that they put up their hands to their faces in self-defense. Many were burned alive in their homes. We know they were burned alive because they were soot in their trachea, their throats, meaning they were still breathing when they were set on fire. The single mercy, Kugel said, if there is one to be found, is that the burned victims likely died from carbon monoxide and soot inhalation before the fire killed them. Kugel also explained that the age range of the victims spanned from three months old to 80 or 90 years old. Many bodies, including those of babies, were without heads. Asked if they were decapitated, Kugel answered yes, although he admits that given the circumstances, it's difficult to ascertain whether they were decapitated before or after death, as well as how they were beheaded, whether cut off by knife or blown off by an RPG, he explained. Kugel was far from the only one who got emotional when discussing the evident travesty. We disassociate ourselves because we need to work, but from time to time it gets to you, Dr. Nurid Bubil, head of the Abu Qadir's DNA laboratory, told the media line. Yesterday, I opened evidence from a house in southern kibbutz, and there was a popular recipe book covered in blood. I have the same book, and it makes you take a moment and think it could have been my kitchen, my children, my parents, me. You can't avoid it, she says. Additionally, Israel's small population gives rise to the fact that no one is far removed from the wake of the massacre. My sister has a close friend of hers who's still missing, said Bobil. She stood beside a blood-stained mattress from a baby's crib, the DNA from the mattress will be used to try and identify a brutally disfigured and unaccounted for infant. I got the message today from my neighbor, Bubble continued. She asked if I could help because her good friend's husband, father, two nephews, and father-in-law's wife were all murdered too and have yet to be identified. This is the crux of the Forensic Pathology Center's current mission, in which roughly 200 experts are participating. 
forensic pathologist, anthropologist, radiologist, and more from Israel as well as from the U.S., Switzerland, New Zealand, and elsewhere around the world, have come not to simply determine the victim's cause of death, but to identify the bodies for burial. Fighting back tears, Israeli forensic pathologist Dr. Hagar Mizrahi explained that, as you know, the Jewish people must bury their dead as soon as possible. But as of this writing, nearly two weeks have passed since the massacre, and some 350 bodies remain unidentified. So the people here at Abu Kabir are doing their best to help identify the most severe cases that arrive. Four places around the country are currently working to identify and release bodies for burial. The Israel Police Headquarters in Jerusalem is handling all the antemortem samples and personal items for DNA comparison. The Israeli Defense Force is working on one-to-one DNA comparisons using their data on soldiers, including fingerprints, dental records, and DNA. In addition, Abu Kabir is working to collect DNA samples and identifications for the most severe cases. It's also where all the DNA samples from all other locations come for additional testing, and the Shura camp near Ramla in central Israel is where the deceased are initially collected. Shura currently has 950 body bags in its possession. The word bags is written here instead of bodies, because it's not clear how many victims there are within. More than one person's remain may be in a single bag, Kokel explained. And one person's remains might be in multiple bags. When looking at the remains, he added, we know there are about multiple people because we see double. For example, you see two bones from the left maxilla, and then it can't be from the same person. In many cases, bones with so much as a speck of extractable DNA are all what's left. For that reason, Kukul said, some victims' families would be right to fear the worst. We hope that with CT and biopsies, we can bring the unidentified down to less than 200. But some people will never find, will never identify them, and people need to prepare for this. Speaking personally, Bubble said that she wants the world to know that, generally, Hamas has enjoyed the killing. According to Bubble, this was not combat or military conflict or a state conflict or a political conflict. Hamas enjoyed the murder so much that they did everything they could to celebrate the killing. They celebrated burning houses with civilians inside who didn't do anything to them. They enjoyed grabbing an 18-year-old girl from a party, a festival, dragging her to a car and taking her to Gaza, and who knows what happened to her in between. They enjoyed and celebrated the death. These are monsters. They're not human. They were not merciful to anyone. No one who was alive and encountered them remained alive. No one. There's an article from the Jerusalem Post taken from Media Line about reporters going to visit the forensic center in Israel who's processing the bodies from the October 7th massacre. It is absolutely infuriating, and everybody, every every person, every human being should be infuriated at the hundreds of thousands of people who have gotten out to, to support Hamas, at the hundreds of thousands of people who have, who have stood in the streets and in various parts of the world have chanted, gas the Jews, finish the job, kill the Jews, destroy Israel. It is infuriating. It has, it has to stop. Countries that are calling themselves democratic countries cannot allow people to stand in the streets and call for the genocide of the Jewish people. And that's what this is. And you have to understand this. This is not a political fight. It's not even a religious fight anymore. It was a religious fight. It's not a religious fight anymore. There's no politics. There's no religion involved. When the genocidal maniacs enter a town and kill women and babies. Innocent people. 
defenseless people, old people, people with dementia. This is not combat. This is not a war. This is genocide. And we have to call it for what it is. Hamas entered these kibbutzim, entered these little towns in Israel to commit genocide, to destroy Jews, to kill Jews. And I don't know why anyone finds this hard to say. I don't know why anybody finds this uh, a weird a weird thing to say or, or, or an inappropriate thing to say that Hamas is committing genocide. It's right there in their charter. And I, it's, it's hard for me to believe. It really is hard for me to believe that people who, who are Israel act, activists, as they call themselves, is, um, are, are, I'm sorry, it's hard for me to, it's even hard for me to talk after reading all that. It's hard for me to believe that people who are Israel activists don't know that the Hamas Charter calls for the genocide of the Jewish people, not the genocide of Israelis, not the genocide of, uh, of Israel, the genocide of Jewish people, no matter where they live. Let's, let's take a close look at their charter and let's understand where they're coming from. So the charter was, was, was created on August 18th, 1988 for the Islamic resistance movement, also known as Hamas. They are a Nazi terrorist group that you should know that want to commit genocide against the Jewish people. Simple as that. They're, 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 their charter starts with Israel will exist and continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it just as it obliterated others before it. Then it continues with, The land of Palestine is an Islamic waqf, a holy possession, consecrated for future Muslim generations until Judgment Day. No one can renounce it in any part or abandon it in any part. Palestine is an Islamic land. Since this is the case, the liberation of Palestine is an individual duty for every Muslim, no matter where he may be. The day our enemies usurp parts of Muslim land, Jihad becomes the individual duty of every Muslim in the face of the Jews' usurpation. It is compulsory that the banner of Jihad be raised. Ranks will close, fighters joining other fighters, and masses everywhere in the Islamic world will come to forward in response to the call of duty, loudly proclaiming, Hail to Jihad! This cry will reach the heavens and will go on to be resounded until liberation is achieved. The invaders vanquished, and Allah's victories come about. Now, those of you who think that maybe there's a way to negotiate a settlement, this is what I hear. Oh, it's just negotiation. You just have to talk to them. There's a, there's a negotiate, there's negotiation. You have to negotiate. Hamas says, no, there's no negotiation. It says so right there in their charter. Why don't we believe them? They write it. We must believe them. Peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradictions to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. Those conferences are no more than a means to appoint the infidels as arbitrators in the land of Islam. There is no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time, an exercise in futility. It continues with Egypt, to a great extent, removed from the circle of struggle against Zionism through the treacherous Camp David Agreement. The Zionists are trying to draw other Arab countries into similar agreements in order to bring them outside their circle of struggle. Leaving the circle of struggle against Zionism is high treason, and cursed be those who perpetrate such acts. And then they say, okay, so now they talked about the Zionists, 
But now they're going. But then they move on to the Jews because you can't separate Zionism from Judaism. Jews, when they say Zionist and when they say Jews, it's interchangeable. The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews and kill them. Then the Jews will hide behind rocks and trees, and the rocks and the trees will cry out, Oh Muslim, there's a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. The enemies have been scheming for a long time and have accumulated huge and influential material wealth. With their money, they took control of the world media. With their money, they stirred revolutions in various parts of the globe. They stood behind the French Revolution, the Communist Revolution, and the revolution we hear, and all the revolutions we hear about. With their money, they formed secret organizations such as Freemasons, Rotary Clubs, and Lions, which they spread around the world in order to destroy societies and carry out Zionist interests. They stood behind World War I and formed the League of Nations through which they could rule the world. They were behind World War II, through which they made huge financial gains. There was no war going on anywhere without them having their finger in it. That's Article 22 of the Hamas Charter. Zionism scheming has no end, and after Palestine, they will convert expansion from the Nile to the Euphrates River. When they have finished digesting the area on which they have laid their hands, they will look forward to more expansion. Their schemes have been laid out in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. That's Article 32 of the Hamas Charter. The Hamas regards itself the spearhead and the vanguard of the circle of struggle against world Zionism. Islamic groups over the, uh, over the Arabs world should do the same, since they're best equipped for their future role in the fight against warmongering Jews. Article 32. So Hamas has called for the destruction, for the genocide of the Jewish people, for the genocide of Israel, for the destruction of Israel, and the genocide of the Jewish people. And, and I, I don't understand, I don't understand why, why there's even a thought that there could be negotiations, because Hamas says clearly, there is no negotiations. There is no negotiation. There's only one way to do this, and this is through jihad. There's nothing else left to talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm very confused why anyone thinks that, that talking to Hamas is going to solve anything. The only thing they're going to understand is their total destruction, which is what Israel should be doing. They should be destroying Hamas, driving them, driving them, crushing them, and destroying them. It's uh, it's it's really it's it's crazy. It's a crazy genocidal Nazi organization, and we saw their true colors when they attacked these 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 little towns, these towns that have been in Israel on the border of Gaza since 1940s. And they attacked these towns, and they destroyed them. And they killed the people inside. And they tortured and killed the people inside. And how do we, how do we reconcile that? How, how do we reconcile the, the 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 inhumanity that was shown to these 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 poor people who were killed? How do you reconcile that? How, how do you say, oh, well, maybe we have to have empathy for, for people who? Oh, let me let me back up for one second before I get into this. Let me back up for just one second. After it was told. After it was reported that Hamas had committed this genocidal Nazi massacre on Jews, there were celebrations in the streets of Gaza. The people of Gaza were celebrating. So why should the Jewish state or anybody have empathy for people who are celebrating a genocidal attack against Jewish people? Where does this empathy come from? Why should we be empathetic? I don't understand how 
anybody with any sort of morality, any semblance of morality, could even dream that empathy is something that could be that could be coming out of the hearts of any Jew anywhere in the world right now after a genocidal attack was committed against them. Was there, should they have had empathy for the Nazis whose stated goal was the murder of Jews, just like Hamas's stated goal? Should there be any empathy for them? Should we say, oh, well, this Nazi here, he's 103 years old today. Maybe we shouldn't try him for war crimes. Maybe we shouldn't punish him for his crimes, even though he was guilty for killing 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, a million Jews. Should the organizations that, that, that organize murders against the Jews, that, that, that organize genocidal attacks against the Jewish people, should these people should not be punished? Of course they should. And people who support them should be punished. The people standing in Sydney, Australia, in front of the Sydney Australian Opera House, yelling, gas the Jews, weren't yelling, gas the Zionists. They weren't yelling, destroy Israel. They were yelling, gas the Jews. You know who else gas the Jews? Do I have to tell you who else gas the Jews? The Nazis gas the Jews. In an effort to commit genocide against the Jewish people. Thank God they didn't succeed. Hamas won't succeed either in their genocidal plight. But Hamas are the modern-day Nazis. Their stated goal is to destroy the Jewish people no matter where they live. If a Jew is hiding under a rock, the rock is going to yell out, come and kill the Jew. Not come and kill the Zionist. Not come and kill the Israeli. Come and kill the Jew. Every Muslim in the world, according to Hamas's charter, is responsible for the jihad against the Jews who usurped the state, who usurped the land. And created a state there. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not fool ourselves to try to believe that some kind of Western Western uh, sensitivity exists in the minds of the people who support Hamas and the people who are Hamas. Let's not dream for a second that the people who are standing in the streets around the world protesting in support of Hamas wouldn't turn on the Jews of their country in a second if the power that be allowed it. Don't think that another Holocaust can't happen immediately. It can. When you do the math, the murders in Israel on October 7th equal five nine-elevens. Proportionately, it's five nine-elevens. After 9-11, America passed the Patriot Act and then went and flattened three countries. Israel should follow America's lead. Regardless of what America thinks, Israel should follow America's lead. Take care of your problem. I don't understand why this problem has been allowed to fester. And where were all these people, all these human rights activists that come out of the woodwork anytime Israel does any kind of political, any kind of military move against the people trying to kill them? And protest Israel, vehemently stand in the streets and protest Israel. Where were these people for the last 17 years when rockets have been landing on the heads of innocent Israelis launched from Gaza? Where were these people's condemnations? Where were these people yelling for the innocent civilians of Storot and other southern Israeli towns where children had to live in bomb shelters and go to school in bomb shelters because, were li- because rockets were landing on their heads daily? 
Hundreds of thousands of rockets been launched since 2006. And not a word from any of these human rights organizations, any of these people who, who claim that human rights is their, is their goal. We stand up for all human rights. Well, it's not just about the Arabs, it's about the Jews too. We care about everyone's life. They didn't seem to care about the lives of the, of the Israelis living in Sturat, did they? They didn't seem to care about the lives of the Israelis living in any of the southern Israeli towns that were pummeled for a, for a decade. For more than a decade, almost two decades, that were pummeled by Hamas rockets. Nobody seemed to care about that. And every time Israel went into Gaza to get rid of Hamas, every time Israel retaliated, every time Israel tried to protect themselves, these same human rights activists, and I use that term extremely loosely, would jump out of the woodwork to condemn Israel. Shame. It's, it, it, shame on the world for allowing this to happen. And the UN, the United Nations, supposed to be protecting a member countries, supposed to be supposed to be there to protect member countries. Where are they? What happened to the UN? Where where are the UN? Oh, it's Jewish lives. Sorry, I forgot. Jewish lives don't matter to the UN. Nobody cares about Jewish lives. They don't matter to anybody, really. The Canadian government refused to acknowledge that that Hamas actually bombed their own hospital in in Gaza until almost a week later. The UK government still hasn't acknowledged that. Because it's Israel. Because it's Jews. And because the Jews are not allowed to have self-determination. Because the Jews are not allowed to survive and, and, and rule themselves. Because the Jews must be killed because Jewish blood means nothing to the world. It never has, and it still doesn't. Sure, for, for, for a couple of days after the attack, after this genocidal attack, on, on, on Israelis, on innocent Jews, the world was sympathetic for a couple of days. Then when Israel said, okay, we've had enough. This is the final straw. We aren't going to tolerate this anymore. This is not something we're going to live with anymore. And suddenly, slowly, you started seeing the media turn against him. You started seeing the, the, the politicians turn against him. You started seeing the people turn against him. It's only the empathy that they had for the Jewish people because they were massacred, disappeared. Because the Jews started showing that they were tough and that they were strong and that they weren't going to sit back and accept us because the Jews started getting up and, and fighting. And that seems to be a no-no when, when it comes to Jewish self-determination. Apparently, you're supposed to have a country and you're supposed to allow everybody to, to kick you in the face everybody to step all over you, to indiscriminately murder your citizens. And you're supposed to sit back and just accept it as a Jew. It's frightening that less than a hundred years after the Holocaust, we're experiencing the same thing. Less numbers at the moment, but the same thing. It's frightening that here we are living, uh, living through the horrors of a Nazi attack on, on, on Israeli towns and seeing the same reaction from countries, from newspapers and, 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 and media, seeing the exact same reaction that they got when the Jews were being massacred by the Nazis. Indifference. 
I'm telling you, the media covered it for a few days, the extensive cover for coverage for a few days. And now they're trying to change the narrative, trying to call Israel Nazis for, for retaliating, for, for attacking uh, Hamas, who are cowards hiding in civilian towns and hiding bunkers under, under hospitals and schools. Cowards. They're, they're complete cowards. But Israel's getting condemned for attacking Hamas. And spending their time, by the way, before they even attack anything, spending their time warning the people in the area, get out of the area, we're going to be attacking on this day at this time, telling their enemies when they're coming, so they can run away too. Because that's Israel. Israel doesn't want to kill innocent people. They want to kill combatants. And they warn innocent people, but by warning innocent people, you're warning your enemy. It's counterproductive to what they're doing, but they do it anyway to preserve life. As a Hamas spokesman said on Palestinian TV just the other day. The difference between the Jews and the Palestinians, he said, is that Jews love life. And Palestinians, we make martyrs out of our dead. That's such a sharp and stark difference in the way we look at life, the way we behave, the way we, the way we, the way we, we respond to things. It's such a stark difference. Remember the first time I heard that philosophy it was about 30 years ago. I was in Israel, and, uh, and uh, I took a tour of, of Matula, which is, a, which is a northern city, right on the tip of Israel in the north. And the, um, the, the mayor of Matula told us a story that when he was a soldier working, working um, in Gaza, just around Gaza, that he, he got a tip that there was a bomb planted under the car of, uh, of one of the local people there. And so he went to the guy and he said, he said, hey, listen, uh, don't go into your car. I've called the army bomb squad. They're going to come and take the bomb away from your car. Just don't start your car and, uh, and you know, survive. And the guy said, oh, thank you for telling me there's a bomb in my car. And he turned and he sent his 15-year-old son out to start the car for him. And of course, the car blew up and his 15-year-old son died. The mayor said he was standing there and he said to the guy, why'd you just do that? You just killed your son for no reason. We would have disarmed the bomb. You could have gone on your merry way. But now you lost your car. You lost your son. And he looked at him and he said, he said, my son is a martyr. He died in the name of Allah. He's a martyr. I can make another son. I could buy another car. But if I die, who's going to take care of my family? And when I heard that story, I understood exactly what we were dealing with. When I heard that story, I understood that we are dealing with crazy people. We're dealing with people who have no value for life. We are dealing with people who will kill, maim, murder, torture, and do whatever they want in order to achieve their goal. That's what we're dealing with. And when we know we're dealing with inhumane monsters, then we have to understand how to solve the problem. We have to understand that inhumane monsters must be dealt with with force. It's the only way to deal with them. You have to knock them out by force. You cannot negotiate. You cannot have mercy because any semblance of mercy you show them they view as a sign of weakness. If 
you show them mercy, they're going to come back at you hard because they don't believe in mercy. They don't understand what mercy is. That's a Western concept. They don't get mercy. All they understand is might makes right. If I hit you and you don't hit me harder than I hit you, then I'm in charge here, not you. That's what they understand. And that's the only thing they understand. And until Americans, until the West understands that that's how they think, understands that Arabs and Middle Eastern people think differently than Western people, that Western democracy doesn't work and Western negotiation doesn't work in a land filled with Arabs and in a land filled with Arabs, it doesn't work. And culturally, they don't understand this. Until that's understood, we're going to continue having these problems. Israel has to show superiority. They can't delay. They can't stop. They can't wait. They have to go and take care of the problem instantly. They have to stop thinking like Westerners and start thinking like Middle Easterners. If they did that, this problem could be solved relatively quickly. At least we could try to solve it relatively quickly. But it has to be done. That's it. You have to get rid of Hamas. They have to be destroyed. And the people of Gaza have to understand that if they are going to stand and support Hamas, if they're going to re-elect another government like Hamas, then they have to be destroyed too. They are responsible for the people that they put into power. They are responsible for the people that they choose to be their leadership. And if they choose another organization like Hamas, then they must be destroyed. The people of Judea and Samaria, the Arabs of Judea and Samaria, have to understand the same thing. Because Hamas originally was elected to be the leader of all Palestinian lands, as outlined in the Oslo Accords. That's right. They were elected to be the general leader. They were to replace the Palestinian Authority. But American Israel didn't like that too much, and they resurrected the Palestinian Authority and backed them and created a civil war where the Palestinian Authority... 2016. You can look it up to history. I mean, the media always gets this wrong, but this is exactly what happened. They they backed the PLO militarily, money-wise, and, uh, and, and with ammunition and, and guns. And they pushed Hamas out of the Judea and Samaria into Gaza. Then they had a bloody civil war in Gaza where the PLO lost, and Hamas took over. It was a coup d'etat. They overthrew the government because they didn't like Hamas as the elected government of the, of the people of Palestine, the people who, who, who call themselves Palestinian and who are in the Palestinian areas as outlined in the Oslo Accords. All those people voted for Hamas. And all those people should know, and Israel should make it very clear, that if there's ever another election, I mean, Mahmoud Abbas can't be in power forever, He's been in power for 20-odd years of a four-year four mandate, but he can't be in power forever. And if they ever go to elections again, and I say elections very loosely, but if they ever do choose another leader, however they may choose their leader, they have to understand that if they choose another leader like Hamas, a genocidal terrorist organization committed to the annihilation of the Jewish people, no matter where they live, they choose another organization like that, 
then they must be destroyed too. You have to destroy evil wherever it is. You have to destroy evil, no matter who it is. And anyone, anyone, anyone at all who is committed and, and has decided that genocide is the way to go and this is the way of life, I mean, genocide against another people, the epitome of evil must be destroyed. Howie Silberger's Political Hitman here on Israel News Talk Radio. I want to thank you for joining me, and I will see you again next time right here on Israel News Talk Radio.